Welcome back to Pod is a Woman, an honest, unfiltered conversation about the current state of politics and pop culture from three veterans of the Obama White House who also happen to be friends. I'm Alejandra. I'm Darian. And I'm Johanna. And today we are joined by the wonderful Helen Butler, Executive Director of the Coalition for the People's Agenda, one of the leading organizations on the ground in Georgia. But first, we're going to talk about what is going on in our country right now. Just for reference, we're recording this on Tuesday at noon Pacific Standard, so we expect a lot to change in the next day and a half. Well, ladies, we just were watching together Trump making his statements at the border in Alamo, Texas. How are we feeling? So much has changed in our country and our worldview in just the past week. And to hear some of the rhetoric that continues to come out of this president's mouth and to see the action or lack of action by some members of Congress, it's really incredible to witness. It's actually interesting that over the past two episodes, it's been so necessary for us to put a timestamp on it because the news is progressing at such an incredible clip that if we don't do that, it's completely null and void in the next hour. And, you know, I... I was not surprised to see President Trump speaking in Texas at the border, at the border wall today, because he's going back to an old faithful, Mm -hmm. you know, he he's going back to immigrants, he's going back to the wall, he's going back to where he started. So in a lot of ways, this is a full circle moment. And he knows that this is incendiary language that he's using, even though he was trying to, um, trying to walk back some of the things he had said, he was still referring to the, quote, impeachment hoax. He was still referring to immigrants as aliens. And he was still referring to ICE as being incredibly talented people. Well, and, you know, of impeachment, he said, be careful what you wish for. So I I have a lot of thoughts on impeachment. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the we all watched together the capital of the United States of America, a, a violent mob of insurrectionists go there with zip ties, IEDs, like they were seeking damage. They took hockey sticks. They were like literally terrorizing the police officers. And that was right after President Trump had said, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. There is nothing else you can do than file articles of impeachment because this president has abused his power. And the thing about impeachment is that it has a lot to do with the post-election assets that he has access to. And I keep thinking because I think it's because I was director of press advance. I know all of the assets that went into taking the president to the ellipse to allow him to say these words, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. The American people pay for all of these assets. And so this has as much to do with what we're going to do to continue to support this ugly, divisive rhetoric as it does holding this power to account right now. And I think that Republicans, if they don't stand up against Trump, will regret it because the country is going to move on. 
Well, it's funny because when you heard that, you went to impeachment. And when I heard that, I thought about all the things that are going around social media right now. And the president says, be careful what you ask for. And you see all of these people, and especially some of his supporters who supported this travel ban that now can't get on airplanes to leave Washington, D.C. and are essentially on a no-fly list because of their activities at the Capitol. You see this summer he passed this statues and monuments act that requires a up to 10 years in jail for damage to federal buildings and to statues and now you see these insurrectionists that will probably be charged with damages to our capital and this is what they asked for you asked for all of this you thought that you were going to go to the capital and that there were going to be instructions and that you were going to potentially execute members of Congress publicly. Yeah. yeah. What kind of world are we living in where this goes without accountability, that the president is able to walk away from this administration, from this presidency, and not be held accountable for his actions, for his words, for the rhetoric that he spews, for the people that he convinced he encouraged them to go to the Capitol. Why are you not being held accountable for it? Why shouldn't you be held accountable for it? Because everybody now, especially on the Republican side, Republican members of Congress are coming out saying, this is political. This is in no way political. This is about accountability for this president of the United States. Well, maybe members of Congress will listen once it starts hitting them in the pocket, because over the weekend, several large companies, Marriott, Blue Cross Blue Shield, and Commerce Bank shares announced that they're suspending donations to members of Congress who voted against the election certification. Yesterday, we saw Amazon, AT&T, Comcast, Airbnb, MasterCard, Verizon, and Dow, as well as Hallmark, jump in. So for some people, if their conscience won't make a difference, maybe their pocketbook will. Well, and I, I think it's right that companies are standing up and saying they're not going to tolerate this rhetoric. We've talked a number of times about how many times he has broadcast it to us all, that he is saying these hateful, awful things. But, you know, the one thing I will say is I do worry when we're talking about social media, I worry about one company being able to decide this unilaterally. So Twitter finally banned President Trump. Now, we saw a lot of Republicans the day of, you know, really questioning this behavior, how we got here. And I think that, unfortunately, that one lucid moment has now changed with a lot of disinformation. I see a lot of them posting a lot of anger about Twitter shutting down President Trump's account, whereas a lot of ordinary individuals across this country have had their Twitter accounts shut down for much less offenses. And I think, you know, it is a question of whether any one company should be making those decisions or whether there should be some regulation. But my hope is that those strong Republicans who know that this is all wrong are going to stand up and take back this country because I think that, you know, we have, the Democrats are certainly going to be part of that change we can believe in. This truly has been a week of highs and lows we've all experienced collectively as a country. And one of the leaders who has had one of the most extreme versions of this high and low is Helen Butler, who is the executive director of the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda. Our interview with her was recorded before our conversation right now. And I know that it really helped us to gain a perspective over the last week. So I hope it'll do the same for you. 
Today, we are joined by Helen Butler, who has served as executive director of the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda, an advocacy organization promoting collaborative issue campaign organizing activities throughout Georgia and nationally. Welcome to Pod as a Woman, Helen. Well, thank you for having me. Well, first of all, for those that may be unfamiliar with the Coalition for the People's Agenda, can you talk us through your work and what is on the People's Agenda? Well, the People's Agenda is a 25-year-old organization that was formed by the late Dr. Joseph Eccles Lowry. And we do, we're made up of representatives from the civil rights, human rights, the environmental, peace, justice, labor, elected officials, youth, women, and citizens who want to really improve the quality of governance. Uh, And we do that through our issue organizing campaigns, Uh, but we also work around civic engagement, like registering people to vote, uh, educating, doing voter education, voter mobilization, holding our elected officials accountable, doing a lot of election protection work uh, to protect that right to vote because, you know, Dr. Lowry, along with other civil rights leaders, were instrumental in getting the 65 Voting Rights Act passed. So for us, protecting that right is very critical. And so we do a lot of things around public policy and making sure people exercise that right to vote. Well, and speaking of that right to vote, is it, of course, affects the issues that all of us uh, encounter day in and day out. Um, what are the important issues that you take on? And what is the people's agenda? How would you define that? Well, the people's agenda really is defined in what it depends on what area you are. We have seven offices across the state, and some of the issues are statewide, some are localized. So, but primarily the issues that we're working on right now happens to be justice, racial justice, uh, criminal justice, economic justice, equity in terms of education, health care. So those are some of the critical issues that our communities are concerned with. How do we survive? How do we build our wealth? And how do we make sure that we're safe and protected and can enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? So that's what the issues are all about in our communities. Uh, So a livable wage is concerning to us, making sure our businesses are thriving, making sure we have access to quality health care, Uh, that there are disparities that we can overcome those disparities in healthcare. Education, ensuring our children have the best education that they can. Uh, So all of those, even the environment, you know, because the environment really impacts our healthcare, Uh, making sure that our, our utility bills, you know, can be impacted by the type of energy we receive. So it's all of those issues that make life uh, worth living and make it happen. That's what we're concerned about. Well, you certainly have a lot on your plate and it feels like so much has happened since last week's election. But I wanna talk to you a little bit about that. What did organizing in this runoff election look like in Georgia? 
Well, in Georgia, we've been doing this, as I said, uh, for decades. Uh, we organize 365 days a year. We bring together organizations that work on these issues 365. And we also bring along other organizations or, uh, that don't do this uh, 365 days, but are concerned about public policy. So while we normally would be out in the field doing voter registration, we had to learn new techniques this time. COVID made us pivot from our normal process of being out in the streets. We had to learn digital organizing. We had to learn relational organizing in a different way. We always relation organized through relationships, but we had to do it a little differently. We did a lot of phone banking. We did a lot of texting. Uh, we did a lot of Zoom meetings. Yeah. Uh, we held candidates forums over Zoom meetings. Uh, we were, like I said, just had to pivot to different things. We provided protective equipment for voters, for our canvassers to ensure that whatever part of the process you were engaged in, it was safe to do it. Uh, we first and foremost was for people to be safe and that they still could exercise their right to vote. People stood in line for three hours, six hours, just to exercise that right to vote. But we had great partners that did party at the polls. They did gaming at the polls just to make sure people didn't have to worry about, oh, how long do I have to stand in this line? They, they were entertained, but yet they could stand in line and still exercise their right. So we pivoted a lot from our normal process uh, to doing a lot of digital kinds of things, but it was fun. I learned a lot about Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> Snapchat, all of that stuff, right? That I normally wouldn't be dealing with, but we had to learn those things to be able to still communicate effectively. Well, when we think about the leaders in Georgia that we're so indebted to for the, the results in our win, your name is in bold. And I want to talk about last Wednesday, because we can imagine the conflicting emotions you must have felt, what collective joy and celebration about what you had just accomplished, and then shifting into a collective terror that we all felt in this country, watching what was going on in Washington. How were you feeling that morning? Well, when uh, first that morning, I was feeling really great. I was way up, I mean, off the ground, so high, thinking, oh, my goodness, we had a turnout at a 60% turnout rate for a runoff election? Unheard of. Uh, so, you know, for us, it was just, I mean, you couldn't think of, I was ready to break out the champagne. I was ready to do any kind of dance I could learn to do, you know, <laughs> I was just happy and excited. And then later on, as the day progressed, we saw all this horrid stuff that brought back the days of Jim Crow, you know, the days when back in the 60s and 40s, uh, I mean, I was one of the first 50 to, grad, uh, to go to the University of Georgia after it was integrated by Hamilton and Charlene. And to see that kind of activities, I'm going like, man, I hadn't seen this since those days at Georgia. Uh, you know, thinking that we had progressed to something different, 
sort of brought me down, but I refuse to let it take my joy. Mm-hmm, you know, we, mm-hmm. we do a lot of spiritual singing in the Baptist church. You know, I'm a Baptist. We do. I'm not going to let anybody steal my joy. You know, no <laughs> one's going to take it away from me, you know? Yes. So I said, I'm not going to let that happen. But it was shameful that the president of the United States of America was inciting insurrection. It it just, I couldn't believe it. You read about it in textbooks, but you'd never think that you'd live through that part of it. Uh, It was just, I, I couldn't believe it. And what is more shameful is that we have this Congress that is refusing to hold him accountable and holding themselves accountable. Because all of these people that are claiming fraud, that are claiming so many problems occurred with the election, it's just that it is false information. This election was the smoothest that I've seen in Georgia in decades, in spite of a lot of voter suppression things they put in place Barriers were overcome by numbers, by people standing in line, by people knowing the process, by people availing themselves. We had people that have, Black people have never used vote by mail because we didn't trust it, right? But we had people out there telling them, I was on the radio saying, okay, now this is how you do it. Trust me, you can trust it. It is safe. It is the good way to do it. And when we do it, now you're going to say that it is fraudulent? No way. No way whatsoever. Even our Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, said, it's safe. You can use it. It, There has been no fraud. They had the GBI, the FBI, looking at that process. Couldn't find anything wrong. But you're going to now come and overrun our capital, saying that it's because that was fraud. Please, where have you been? (laughs) Do you not understand the process? Have you not looked at it? I'm like, this is crazy. Well, you know, you can't imagine two situations in in such complete contrast with one another. And the rhetoric coming from the president was so divisive and so much about the individual and so much of what you did and you were able to accomplish in Georgia was about building coalitions. And one of the things that I think is so beautiful as we talk about joy and celebration is that no one organization or one person tried to claim credit for flipping the Senate. It was such a group effort. And I want to ask you, how do you go about in this time where you're having to pivot because of COVID? How do you go about building these coalitions? Well, we had a coalition building all along. We had a state table uh, that is about 40 to 50 organizations that do nothing but civic engagement work. It's called Pro Georgia. I'm one of the founding organization members of that Uh, table, state table. Uh, But we've always worked collectively together. And then we had the greatest strategist you could think of, Ms. Stacey Abrams, uh, who brought the highlight to it all. You had the Black Voters Matter with the Black buses that could go to neighborhoods to help educate people, to take them to the polls. So it's 
and each of us did different things. You know, uh, New Georgia Project, they went out and registered in mass. We do voter registration too, uh, but there are different techniques that we all used, but we all came together to ensure that we would have the resources and people and money to really make it happen. We had the trusted messengers in our neighborhoods. I have seven offices across the state and they're all run by people that live in those communities that know those communities better than I ever will know. But it's us working together that made it happen. I never say take credit. It was my young people, the uh, people that were out there, they highlighted and COVID helped to highlight how important it is to elect people that will make policies that can improve your livelihood. And that was so critical. And it all came together at one. And that's what made it happen in Georgia. You're right. And I know just watching from a distance, I've believed for a long time that America's superpower is in our diversity, that when we empower all of our human capital, we will actually get closer to an America that maintains both the economic, but also moral clarity to lead the world. And, you know, what you guys did watching it, it was when we even were emailing with, you know, Fair Fight, it was like, Everybody was trying to give each other credit. And so in the midst of this darkness, how can we keep shining light back on the great accomplishment of Georgia and the future that's ahead of us? Well, I think you all can help with that by spreading the word. You know, you saw where it was uh, the Latinx working together Asian Americans advancing justice working together. It was the Caribbean Association, the African diaspora. It was the white groups working together. It was the black groups working together. We, the Indian Native Americans, we were all working in coalition and with one goal in mind to improve our neighborhoods uh, through public policy changes. And you all can help by carrying that work through the different mediums that reach people. Uh, like I said, I had to learn all these new mediums. I'm not technologically savvy. I can navigate, <laughs> but you know, I'm not, I have to ask Mary Pat now, how do I post something on Instagram? You know, <laughs> how do I post something on Snapchat? You know, so it's, I mean, I can navigate Facebook, but you know, that's old folks stuff, right? <laughs> but you all have podcasts. You have yep. this way of reaching people that I could never reach people. My thing is, I know the techniques. I know some of the steps we need to do. I'll be a plaintiff in a lawsuit in a heartbeat. <laughs> I know how to do that. But you all have the way to take that message to others that I never could do that. And that's how we keep this momentum going. We can make it a culture that we have going forward for the future uh, with all of us working, doing what we do best. You do this best. I don't. Uh, I like to be behind the scenes 
And so the more I'm behind the scenes, the better I am. So that's why I say if we all work together to do this, we can keep this momentum going, not just in Georgia, but nationally. And we can then bring back the United States that we once were. The, the beacon to everyone, give me your tide, your poor, you know? That Statue of Liberty up there calling everybody to come to America. We can then do it together, but it takes all of us to make it happen. We are the melting pot that can make it happen. Speaking of keeping our momentum going, now that we've taken back control of the Senate, what policy priorities are you hoping we'll see in the next Congress and from our two newly elected senators in particular? Well, you know, number one has to be the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, right? Mm -hmm. The John Lewis Advancement Voting Rights Act. We have to pass that to make sure that barriers are not put in place for people to exercise their right to vote. The second has to be criminal justice reform through the George Floyd Criminal Justice Act. Uh, those two things have to, have to really be there. We have to have um, cabinet uh, appointments that will really work with the states, the local people to make sure that our communities thrive. We've got to have quality education. Uh, we've got to have someone over education that is gonna make sure public education is there for everyone. Uh, we've got to have a labor person that will understand working people need to have a livable wage, right? And we've got to understand, we've got to protect the environment if we're gonna have a world at all. Uh, so we've got to have people that understand this and work together, not just on the federal level, but state and local and working as the constitution said it should work. Three branches, right? the executive and the, all, you know, our legislature and our judicial, they have to work in together to make it a successful country. And so that's what we've got to do. And we all can make it happen. And that's what I'm hope will happen. And I'm, I'm sure our young people like you all are gonna make sure it happens. Uh, I, I really know that young people really are engaged and they can take the leadership to the next three levels. Uh, so we won't have to worry about this in the future. Well, and you know, it is, it's kind of like, how do we actually bring America together so that we can move the country forward? I was raised by Republicans and I've been on the phone with a lot of Republicans and, and many of them are admitting that this um, was a free and fair election. But there are some Republicans, and we talked a little bit about the disinformation before, who are framing the expansion of voting rights as an argument to back the false theory that Donald Trump has, has continued to perpetuate that this election was stolen. How would you explain to the naysayer that this was a free and fair election and that voting rights are actually going to expand access for everyone? Well, I, as I said, if you didn't understand the process, you know, come talk to me. We can yep. show you step by step how it is. Go 
to your local board of election, watch and observe the process. Citizens can do that. Understand it. Don't just listen to the rhetoric. Really look and delve into it yourselves. You're, you're free thinking people. Be free thinking people. This is the only country that allows you to do that. So be a free thinker. Look at what is happening. You can see that it was a free, transparent, open election. In Georgia, we had an audit. We had a recount. Uh, I mean, three times. And the numbers weren't different. That ha I mean, if you went to school and you know math, well, numbers are not too far off. They can't be too far off. So for it to be wrong, you need to understand the process. And the process to me is simple. Be on a board of elections, then you know how it runs. Work as a poll worker, then you know how it works. Uh, be an observer, election observer, then you know how it works. And then if you really don't understand our system, go monitor some other system. I was fortunate to monitor the election in South Africa. Believe me, it helps you to broaden your experience in how other countries do it. But this is a free and fair and open election. We had some barriers. I will be the first to tell you that. But that because we had barriers, there are ways to get around it. But because we had barriers doesn't mean that it was fraudulent. So it's a difference. And people need to understand that the rhetoric elected officials use sometimes is just to better themselves and it doesn't help you. It's not for you. President Donald Trump has been given this false narrative since he was first elected and it hasn't stopped and he won't stop. <laughs> so, I mean, Truly, if it was false, all of those elected officials that got re-elected to office, are they now saying that they shouldn't be there? Think about that. If the election was fraud, then why are you sitting in Congress right now? Why are you sitting there when the same election process put you there? How can it be fraud for the president, but not fraud for you. It, it just does not resonate. I mean, it's not logical. So I say to people, think, think for yourself, read for yourself, don't listen to other people. I mean, you can listen, but go check it out and make sure you understand the process. To your point, we've had so many new voters become engaged in this last election, but there's also been so many disinformation campaigns they've been facing. How can we continue to show up over the next four years to support the work you're doing, not just in an election year? Well, I think, again, helping to highlight some of the work that we do. Like, for instance, uh, one of the issues that we were so enthused about was a public service commission where we were helping seniors who had high utility bills. Well, the Public Service Commission regulates what those rates are going to be. So we were trying to help young those people in uh, Newton County understand that your mayor, your city council, they had um, 
utility system, but it didn't have things that they could offer you, like, you know, making sure the zoning matches the utilities, because if the zoning, the building zoning codes are not enforced and people are, you're staying in housing that doesn't meet standard, you're paying higher bills. And so you need to understand the connection. So it's issues like that, or from education, making sure those schools where people don't have uh, a lot of resources in Randolph County, they don't have broadband. So the children down there to study everything online and to compete with schools in Atlanta, they've got to have broadband. So you got to have the elected people that will bring it. So if you can highlight those kinds of issues that help people understand from a daily living perspective, this is why you've got to be engaged, not just one time, but 365. And the other part mm -hmm. is you got to help bring these elected officials back to the public. We can't just let them come every four years, every two years, every six years and say, vote for me. And I never see your face again uh, until that election day. No, come back and tell me next week, what did you do? How did you vote? What did you vote in my, on my behalf? Why didn't you vote on my behalf? So that is what we need to help people understand. Well, you are so right. We have to keep our elected officials accountable. We put them in office and we can easily help get them removed. And you talked at the beginning of our conversation about your founder, the dean of the civil rights movement, the Reverend Dr. Joseph Lowry. Given everything that has happened since his passing, all that has transpired in 2020 and now at this moment, what would it have meant to him? Oh, he would be doing his happy dance. And then he <laughs> always says, you know, when he's had a good sermon, okay, let's take up the collection now. You know, <laughs> it, it, it is time to pass the plate. Uh, but he would be so elated about all of the things that have happened. You know, before he passed, you know, he wouldn't come to our, we have a weekly meeting every Tuesday from 12 to 2, where we talk about issues where we bring people together to work on those issues. Um, he couldn't attend, but after the meeting every Tuesday, we'd go to his house that I'd have to tell him, Dr. Lowry, we discussed this. We talked about this. Here's what we're gonna do next. Here's where I'm going. And he'd say, well, no, you need to do this. But he would be so happy to see that we have really turned out in record numbers in Georgia that this diverse coalition made it happen and that he would say, you can do it now. I can rest easy. Keep trucking. <laughs> oh, That's well, what he'd be saying. I love that. And as we go into MLK weekend, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, what acts of service, what day of service activities can Americans across the country look into? Well, for anyone in honor of Dr. King, who did so much uh, for the African-American community, uh, you can't do anything but give back to the community. You got to pay it forward. Uh, you know, whether it's in, in the Chick-fil-A line uh, where you buy, buy the next two people's lunch behind you, 
whether you uh, actually go to the homeless shelter to help Elizabeth Omalami feed the hungry on MLK Day, to give somebody who's homeless a haircut, a shower, uh, a meal, you know, give them a face mask so they can stay safe, give them a blanket, give them a coat. Um, do what you can in the community. But most of all, whatever you do, you've got to give the ballot back to Dr. King. In his speech talking about, you know, protest is good, but you can't separate it from the ballot. You got to do both. So again, for Dr. King, for all of those civil rights leaders, for uh, Hosea, for Reverend Abernathy, for C.T. Vivian, for Amelia Boynton, uh, for Coretta Scott King, you know, for uh, Mrs. Abernathy, for every one of them, for Rita Samuels, who was always on the rights of black women. She always stood up for black women. Mm -hmm. We've got to be sure we give back by exercising that right to vote and participating in democracy by electing people that would represent your interest. Well, my goodness, Helen, this has been such an incredibly powerful conversation. And I am so glad, as you said, that you didn't let anyone take your joy in this moment because there is so yes. much to celebrate. And thank you for your good work in Georgia and for voters across the country. We are just thrilled to have had you on today. Well, thank, thank you. you all so much. And keep up the good work. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Helen was certainly an inspiration and just uplifted me in her conversation and her genuine spirit. So I'm glad that we were able to have her on today. And we want to shift to our potuses of the week. And because of everything that happened last Wednesday, their names are being protected. But to the women who rescued the electoral votes, who had the presence of mind to go back and get them in the midst of a coup on our nation's capital. We are just so grateful for you as a country and so proud of your efforts. And our shout out this week goes to Christina Reynolds, who co-authored Run to Win with last week's guest, Stephanie Shriok. Christina worked with us in the White House, and we know that she is always behind greatness. The book is out this week, Run to Win. Find it at any independent bookstore. The next time we'll be with you is post-inauguration day. So until then, please stay safe. And as Helen said, stay in your joy.